I am completely alone, standing in the forest. My hands so cold, I have to rub my fingertips together to remind myself that in fact I do have fingertips. The sun is rising over the mountains in the morning. And every personal article of clothing that I have, including that which I am wearing, exists on a continuum between deeply damp and frozen, dried out, drowned rat. But I am smiling. I am smiling because I have just created this. I, I am like Tom Hanks and Castaway. I have created fire, he said. I've created shelter. A few lengths of paracord, a couple trees to hang it on, a simple tarp, branches as stakes in the ground. I have used my taut line hitch and my bowline knot, which four days before I could not have picked out of a lineup. I have done all this. And so I spend the rest of the day down into the nightfall, laying out on top of this tarp all of my soaked, drowned belongings, standing in the least damp things I have, and reveling in this gorgeous day. What I've just described to you is the solo day of Outward Bound, the excursion that I participated in a little bit more than two years ago in the fall of 2011. Now, as you may know, Outward Bound is the child of a guy named Kurt Hahn, who talked about four pillars, four foundations of Outward Bound. The first, physical fitness. I must tell you, I was in the best shape of my life, probably never to return there when I was out and outward bound in preparation for it, hiking five to ten miles a day, high up into mountains, and sometimes even more difficult part, coming down off of those mountains with 50 pounds on my back, physical fitness, check, craftsmanship. <laughs> I have never been so crafty, and I'm not crafty at all. The third pillar, self-reliance. Ain't going to be no one setting up that tarp but me today. I brought my best self to what I've learned. But the fourth pillar requires a little bit more backstory. See, Kurt Hahn was a child in the 1930s in Germany, which meant that he saw the rise of the evil of Nazism all around him. And he saw friends of his participating in the Hitler Youth. He was not allowed to because he was of Jewish origin. He was lucky. Eventually, he was one of the ones who was able to get out. And he saw them being trained and drilled in physical fitness and craftsmanship and self-reliance. And yet, he also knew that the container that held these values was corrupt and harmful and awful. And so, the fourth pillar was the one for outward bound that he saw lacking in his society. It was this, compassion. Compassion that grounded all the other three pillars and without which those three other pillars would have been totally incomplete. 
Paul in the Christian scriptures might have articulated the same lesson this way, without love, I am nothing. Without love, I gain nothing. Now let me say that I enjoyed thoroughly being tested and tried on this day, this solo day of Outward Bound and demonstrating what I had learned. But the thing that was also clear when I set up my little tarp, in which clearly I take an outsized amount of ego gratification from, <laughs> was that, again, four days before, I didn't know how to do this. The only reason I learned is because there were teachers, course directors, who had taught me what I did not know and had invested in me so that I could do my solo day on Outward Bound. It was that day that I got a lesson on the kind of tests that really matter and the kind of tests that don't matter very much. Now, I'm about to wade into some troubled water here, folks. And if you've been around for a while, you know I don't mind preaching on controversial subjects. But this is one I haven't even touched yet. This is one that's really controversial in a place like Chester County. Standardized testing. Would someone, by the way, go over there and turn on the fans? I can see some folks are starting to get hot. Thanks, Becky. <laughs> Those two things are totally unrelated, by the way. Maybe not. The controversy of teaching to the test. Teaching to the test so the school system can get its money from the state, from the federal government. Teaching to the test so that certain areas of mastery might be demonstrated. But the complaint I hear over and over and over again from so many teachers is that when teaching to the test, the recitation of facts, what is lost is the love of learning in the first place. That's all about just demonstrating knowledge that maybe for the kids has nothing at all to do with really loving what learning is about. Whenever I think we run into these situations in which we find that tests or rules come to exist and are not connected to any deeper or transcendent value, I always go back to the words of Jesus, who was accused of a grievous sin by the religious authorities of his time, healing on the Sabbath. You were not to heal on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was for absolute rest, didn't matter, no matter how noble the purpose was. And his simple answer is, and by the way, this is a great answer that is one of the foundations of progressive spirituality. He said, are we made for the Sabbath or is the Sabbath made for us? What he's saying in that question is all rules, all tests, all rituals that ultimately do not come back to helping us fulfill our purpose in flourishing, in being alive. I'll test our rules that are ungrounded from any deeper humane purpose. Our tests, rules, not worth having. Tests are rules that are not about the revelation or the revealing like Outward Bound was for me, about our character of the true depths of our inner life expressed through outer works of compassion, connection, belonging. Those tests become about themselves. And those tests tend to rely upon an assumption 
that I am trying to directly counter in this message series called So Good Seeds about the cultivation of spiritual character, which is that character is not an achievement. Character is not something that we own. It's not even something that we have. And I'll demonstrate to you right now how character is not something we can own and say that it's part of us and it's ours. Live today. I mean, this is a good thing anyway, right? Live today giving your life away. Live today in total, total utter generosity. Live today just being there for others and loving on them and, and, and giving from a place of gratitude. Just do that all throughout today. And then wake up tomorrow morning and the first person you see punch them right in the nose. Please don't do that. But that's what character is about. Character is not about, look how good I was yesterday. Look at the achievements of what I am. Character is not an achievement. It is a cultivation. It is a lifelong pursuit, a lifelong sharing of those seeds of goodness that we are born with. Character is not something that we have, that we own, that we possess. Character is something that we embody and enact as imperfectly as we all do it every single day of our lives. All of this focus on grading and testing and achieving, what it can miss, what it does miss. Sometimes those deeper and more humane values, particularly in schooling. There's a, um, an article I read not too long ago by a woman named K.O. Uh, McClear with a wonderful little uh, double understanding, double entendre title called Degrading Our Children. Think about that for a second, degrading our children. And she's talking about these regimes of grading and testing and teaching to the test. And she said it's based on, these are her words, a mindset that's all about outcomes and acquisition. If I do this, then I will get that. Just think of that perennial question heard in so many classrooms across North America. Do we have to know this? <laughs> Is it on the test? Does it count? She continues, the reality is it's not very easy to wean ourselves from these traditional measuring methods if that's all we've ever known. As a teacher I know and respect observes, I've taught high school students who reacted to the absence of grades with what I can only describe as existential vertigo. Who am I if not B plus? But it's worth breaking the dependency, that dependency. Because when the attachment to being good or right or knowing the right answers dissolves, we open up space for a different kind of merit to be cultivated, a merit based on the immeasurable. Call it character or compassion or curiosity. Call it, she concludes, our intrinsic Buddha nature. And to that I would add, call it our intrinsic God consciousness Call it our intrinsic, immeasurable capacity for loving awareness. That's what character is about. It is immeasurable. It is limitless. That's why the call is to live it every day. Because we never exhaust it if we're really growing. Character is not an achievement. Rather, I think that character is, much like the fourth pillar in Outward Bound, Character is the cultivation that makes all other achievements meaningful in the first place. And lacking 
character, lacking an inner connection to our hearts that expresses itself in an outward connection to other people's hearts and lives. Lacking that character renders all our achievements meaningless. Character is not like a trophy that can be placed upon the wall and we can say, we have it, we got it, we mastered it. Character, for lack of a better word, cannot be objectified. If we want to cause harm to other people's lives or to our own life, the first step is always objectifying it, making our lives an it, making our lives an image, an object, a persona, a mask that can be represented to other people, but in fact hides the true reality of our depths, whether we love those depths or whether we are struggling with those depths. This matters, this capacity that we all have to objectify our lives and make ourselves into a false image. We see it here, I think most particularly right now, in a story that has consumed me very much that some of you might know about. Richie Incognito, number 68. Jonathan Martin, number 71, at the 930 service. I called him Christopher Martin. Shows you kind of what side I'm on here, which I think is the humane side my mind went to Winnie the Pooh. Number 71, Jonathan Martin, who recently left the Miami Dolphins, a big strapping offensive lineman as you can see, because of harassments and claims of merciless bullying. Richie Incognito seemingly the prime offender being suspended indefinitely by the Miami Dolphins. We don't know exactly everything that happened yet. Right now these are allegations. If any of them are true, however, allegations ranging from basically extortion of tens of thousands of dollars to physical violence, to words of racism, to threats by other teammates, to sexually violate Jonathan Martin's sister. So the truth of this will come out in time. But what really bothers me right now is this, is the way so many people are reacting to it and responding to this story. One of them is this, and I apologize that uh, uh, if you like this guy's movies, just forgive me. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of the person even more than the movies. Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone went to my boarding school, the Hill School, decades before I was there. And so when Platoon came out, when I was there in the 1980s, it was all Oliver Stone all the time because he was probably our most famous alum. The thing about Oliver Stone, I've studied this guy a lot, too much, is that when he was a teenager, he was a loud, obnoxious, ideological, intolerant right-winger. And he's grown up to be a loud, obnoxious, intolerant, ideological left-winger still the same person and we get an example of this this past week when he was being interviewed and he's done a movie every given Sunday or any given Sunday about football I don't think it's a good movie at all but the point is is that he was being talked to as an authority about football and he was asked point-blank could Jonathan Martin be bullied by his teammates and Oliver Stone said dismissively no NFL players are too big they cannot be bullied. Which brought me to another great source of humane childhood wisdom. <laughs> Horton hears a who. 
You all know the famous line, a person's a person, repeat it with me, no matter how small. But it's true the other way too, isn't it? A person's a person no matter how big. And this is one of the things that's been said over and over again about Jonathan Martin this week that I've heard. He should have been a man. He failed the test of masculinity. He couldn't get through the hazing ritual, which demonstrates that he's not a real guy. He sought out emotional counseling. He left the team. He couldn't get through. He didn't have what it takes. Boys will be boys. He could have understood this. Boys don't cry, etc., etc., etc. All the ways that we objectify men. And you know what? Men who are objectified do a wonderful job. And by wonderful, I mean that with complete irony of objectifying women. The hazing ritual that he was said to supposedly be able to get through, that's another test. And at this moment, to ask that question, what the hell is that test for? <laughs> to bring up men who are able to be able to get to the pile, the top of the pile, and so they can be in the position of hazing the next man who come after them? That is not a test or not a ritual worth having. This is the perverse logic of any kind of teaching to the test. It's a self-perpetuating system that exists only to feed upon itself and to produce itself time after time after time after time, not grounded in any deeper, wider, humane, or transcendent values. And so what I want to say, if you go back the last slide, to Jonathan Martin, thank you. Because to be maladapted to an unhealthy system is to be healthy. It's all of us who stay in systems that are unhealthy and we just get along and go along maybe because we think someday we'll get to the top and we can be the victors. We are the ones who are diseased. Maladaptive response of pain, of sorrow, of suffering is a healthy response to a dehumanizing system. To just want to be the victor is no way to change anything. I mean, I got this lesson my first year in ministry. My first year in ministry when I didn't know basically anything. My first year in ministry when a family that was breaking down was passing through and were there for barely six months. And one of the members of that family came to my office one day, asked if he could talk to me. And he sat down and told me this story of his failures as a husband and his failures of his ability to control his drinking and his failures of an ability to to provide the kind of life that he had been told he needed to provide for his family. And then he just burst out sobbing. Now here's the thing. I knew a little bit enough about this guy that I know he was in high school. He was about my age. He was a lacrosse player and a football player. Exactly the kind of guy who made me feel bad about myself (laughs) when I was in high school. And I got to be honest, for a moment, this thought crossed my mind. How proud of it. Look who's so tough now. But that was just a thought, and I recognized it as an ego-driven thought and not a kind thought. And so I turned to him with compassion. And when I can look back now, especially understanding even more, how often had he gotten the messages that because he was big, because he was strong physically, 
that he should be able to handle it. Because boys don't cry, and guys suck it up, and don't show any weakness or emotion. Whenever we objectify ourselves, we turn our lives and other people's lives into an it, a thing to be molted, manipulated, manufactured, and certainly never an inner character to be cultivated into the form of love, compassion, connection, and belonging. When we objectify our lives, we fix on an image of ourselves. And sometimes we will invest everything we can and all the energy we have to convey that image to the outside world when in fact what is happening is we are dying on the inside or neglecting ourselves on the inside or denying all the things we don't fit and sometimes we project that out onto some others that we think have the capacities that we cannot deal with in ourselves. One of our core beliefs here at Wellsprings is this, directly counter to this idea of a fixed image to objectifying our lives. We call it thirst for fulfillment. We believe that a growing, honest spiritual life helps fills our God-shaped holes and deepest yearnings. Efforts to fill these holes with materialism, unhealthy relationships, and substance abuse lead to despair and lead to loneliness. How often we just protect and play defense because we have a fixed image of our lives because we will not allow or acknowledge the fact to recognize that what we try to fill our lives up just isn't doing the work for us to lead us into deeper happiness, connection, belonging. This fixed image, you know, I, I got this early on. Not that I was a nerd, although I was. Uh, it wasn't it. This is actually something that people were praising me for. These words, these two words, used to hear it told to my parents about me. Ken's an old soul. I ate that up with an ego spoon, with extra ego sauce, <laughs> and some shavings of ego on top. <laughs> oh, I wanted to be old. I wanted to be mature. But here's the thing. I knew I wasn't yet. I wasn't an old soul. I was a young kid with an awful lot of chaos going on inside of him. But objectifying myself with wanting to be an old soul, that just meant I was so ill-equipped to deal with those things that didn't feel mature at all. So I want to ask you today, if you are used to calling young people old souls, <laughs> please don't. <laughs> Praise them for who they are, not your idealization or objectification of who you think they are. Let them be a young person and not an old soul. When we call a kid an old soul who's a young person, actually what we're saying is we're not giving them space to make mistakes. We're expecting them to be old or mature. And they're not yet. And by the way, this applies to our own inner talk to ourselves. Are we objectifying our lives? Or are we allowing ourselves that deeper flow, that deeper capacity to grow? This is a simple test you can do when you pay attention to your self-talk. When you do something poorly, when something does not go as well as you hoped it wished, you, as, you, as you wish it would have hoped gone. Do you say to yourself, quoting John Lennon, great song, awful message, I'm a loser. Or do you say... I didn't do this well. I'll try to learn from it. If everything in your life is going splendidly, do
do you say? I am king of the world. I can do no wrong. What do you say in this instant? I gave it my fullest effort. I did well. Now, what's the next thing coming up? This is the difference between what's called a fixed versus a growth mindset. And it has been studied over and over and over in the life of children. When children are praised for something that is fixed, child does something well, and you say, you are so smart. <laughs> that might be you know, motivated by something incredibly beautiful. And yet, that makes that child much less likely to when they encounter something that's difficult or makes them feel not smart, makes it much more likely that they will retreat from that challenge. Much more valuable to a child is the growth mindset, which is after a child does something great to say, you put forth an amazing effort. That's building a child's character. Saying you are smart is building a child's self-image. <laughs> character for the purposes here, and I would say everywhere, is much better. Here's the problem with a society in which people seek praise and don't love learning. Is that when we, children or adults, get a sense that it's all about the gold stars to be earned, you know what kind of people we end up producing in society? People who don't like to learn, but love the rewards. <laughs> and people who have these messages running in their operating systems become people who are much more likely to give up and not show resiliency and not show a deep and compassionate toughness. They're much more likely to cheat, to lie, to bully, to steal. Because there's no inner love of learning in their character. There's just a desire that life is a test to be passed so I can get my rewards. But we have a different message here, this tradition, especially our universalist tradition, and it's expressed most abundantly and most directly in this image. All of us were already born with the A. It's yours. <laughs> We're already loved, we're already accepted, we already matter in ways that have absolutely nothing at all to do with our individual merit or how important we are. What if you really lived your life according to believing that you had the A? How might that change you? How might that change your expectations of your children? How might that change how you treat each other. By the way, there's a guy named Benjamin Zander who was uh, 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 the head of the uh, Philharmonic in Boston. High-achieving guy. He teaches high-achieving students. At one point many years ago, he walked into a conservatory class with all of these type A kids who've always been about grade me, grade me, let me pass on, let me find my way in. And he said, you know what? You all have an A already. They had no idea what this meant. <laughs> He said, but there's one thing required of you. You have to write a letter to yourself in the future at the end of this course, seeing what the end of this course will be, saying to yourself what you have learned. 
And all these type A kids who are so used to being graded, what they wrote about, about the person they had become, the character they had cultivated, they wrote about overcoming their fears. They wrote about overcoming their sense that failure was waiting right around the corner. And they gave themselves the opportunity to risk and to love their learning again. In another tradition, we say this is simply progress, not perfection. To love the joy of learning, the joy of process, not product, the joy of discovery. Every day, we're passing it and we're failing it. Every day, we're discovering it. And so, I just kind of beg of you this. Eventually, you'll go home and you'll forget what was said here. Or you'll remember parts of it. Who knows? I can't assure that. But just for today, then, at least, live as if you already had the A. <laughs> and maybe find out a little bit what it's like to be liberated to learn, to be liberated to love, to be liberated to this life. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God of hope and connection that excels any merit. God of hearts beating and yearning to grow stronger. God of the right kinds of tests. Those that reveal our deep, wholesome, and innate yearning to flourish just as the seed flourishes into the flower. May we let go of those rules, of those tests, of those rituals that do not serve the holy and humane heart of life so that we might connect once again with the holy and humane heart that we already have. Amen.